He helps us in our weakness. We need to pause and just kind of unpack that short expression there. It helps us in our weakness a little bit so that we can get a better understanding of what the ministry of the Spirit really is here. When Paul says weakness, asthenia in the Greek, it means weakness of all kinds, all sorts of weaknesses. This is a very broad term, a very common term, and it's, and it's big enough, it's broad enough to include all types of bodily afflictions. All types. Whether they stem from persecution or whether they're just part of the human condition as a whole. Over in Hebrews chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, you can just listen. Hebrews 4, verse 15 we're told there, we do not, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Same term. But one who's been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 5, same word. Paul's talking about himself. He says, on behalf of such a man I will I boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except in regard to my weaknesses. Infirmities, those things that are common to the human condition. Suffering. The Spirit helps us in the midst of that. That is, in the midst of life. In the midst of life and all that comes at us, the Spirit helps us, Paul says. How? How does He help us? Well, it's built actually into this word helps, and it's a shame that the word is translated helps here. You know, when you're translating from one language to another, sometimes it's difficult to to bring the full concept of a word in one language over into another language. Sometimes it takes multiple words in the receptor language to translate one word in in the donor language, if you will. And that's what we have here. We have, a, we have a compound verb here, helps. It's a really long word. The word is soon ante lambenetai. Now that's a long word. And it's made up actually of two prepositions and a verb all stuck together. And if we just pause and break that down, I think we'll get a far better idea of what it means to help. Because... The word helps is just an under-translation. It doesn't really give us the full impact. So the first preposition here, soon, it means with or along with or together with. Anti, another preposition, it means for or in the place of. So we have with, along with, together with, for or in the place of. And then lambano, the verb, which means to take, to take hold of, or to bear. So you put it all together now, and you get soon ante lambanatai. And what that means is it refers to the idea of someone who comes alongside of another person to bear or to take part of their heavy load and help them carry it. Now, that's a whole lot of English words to, to translate one Greek compound verb. 
So with that idea in mind, in the same way that hope sustains us, the Spirit also comes alongside of us to bear or to carry part of our heavy load in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life. That's what Paul says here in verse 26. By the way, this verb is used that way in Exodus chapter 18, verse 22, when the Septuagint or the Greek translation of the Old Testament It speaks there of the ministry of the 70 men who were appointed to assist Moses when he was judging the people in the wilderness. Do you remember that? The task was too great for Moses, too heavy for Moses. It was going to wear him out. It was going to kill him, basically. And his father-in-law said, you need some help. And so you need to get some men to come alongside you and to bear the burden with you of judging this massive people. Text uses that verb. It does appear in one other place in the New Testament, Luke chapter 10, verse 40. It's under translated there as well, but there it's Martha asking Jesus to tell Mary to come help her in the preparation of the meal. And it's it's more than he wants her to, you know, she doesn't want her sister to just set the table and then leave again. We're talking about the heavy duty preparation of a public meal. So this is the this is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit in the same way he helps in our weakness. He comes along in our weakness to bear our burden, to help us carry our heavy load. Paul goes on to say, for we do not know how to pray as we should. He's giving us an illustration here, really a, an illustration and confirmation of his Basic declaration that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And so Paul brings up the subject of prayer. And he says our problem with prayer is that we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to pray. And he's not talking here about style. And he's not talking about manner of prayer. He's talking about content. Content. Talking about the content of prayers. We can't tell what's really best for us. We don't know in the given situations of life what is the will of God for us, what is the best thing for us, and so we don't know how to pray. We know the manner of prayer. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son that is based on the merits of the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the manner of our prayer by which we approach the triune God. We pray to the Father in the name of the Son in the power of the Spirit. And stylistically, we know all kinds of stuff about prayer, right? We can pray silently. We can pray audibly. We can pray in public. We can pray in private. We can pray when we're laying down. Well, you know, walking, sitting, standing, riding in the car. I mean, you, we can pray everywhere. Pray without what? Ceasing. So we know all about that stuff, too. We don't do it, but we know about it. But what to pray for is often very elusive. Very, very elusive. How many times have you had either a friend or a loved one who is suffering 
and you wondered what to pray for. You're wondering to yourself, what do I pray for them in the midst of this? I mean, the natural inclination of your heart, of course, is that they would get well, right? Hopefully you think at a little bit more profound level than that. Not that praying for someone's physical healing is not fine, and it is fine. But we're all going to die. So hopefully your prayer on behalf of someone who's suffering goes a little deeper than God will just heal them. But what is it that we're to pray? What is God's will for my life when I'm in the midst of suffering? What is God's will for your life when you are in the midst of suffering? Be it a disease that comes on you from out of nowhere and in a matter of of 60 days you're bedridden. One day healthy and out walking and having fun and life looks so golden. And within two months your whole world has crashed around your ears. Or maybe it's a situation at work where because of your Christian faith and commitment, you have a boss that is pressuring you and you're suffering in a sense for your Christian faith. Do you pray for deliverance? Or do you pray for endurance? What do we pray for and how do we know what to pray for? What about a situation where the whole church is praying for someone and still God doesn't seem to hear or answer. We had a situation here in this fellowship not all that long ago, right? Where there was a young lady afflicted with a terrible, terrible physical affliction. And we prayed and we fasted and we signed up to fast and to pray round the clock. And yet nothing changed. Now, we're not totally agnostic in all of this. That is ignorant. The Scripture does give us some direction with regard to prayer in the midst of suffering. Turn to a James with me. James chapter 1, page 1207. Using a pew Bible. James 1. This is just one passage out of a number that give us some direction in this matter. James 1, beginning in verse 2. You there? Okay, James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How, James, how do I consider it all joy when I'm encountering various trials? Verse 5, prayer. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
James says that if you are in the midst of trials, you are to count it all joy. And the way you count it all joy is by praying. And if you can't get to the place where you're praying, you don't have wisdom enough to pray to count it all joy, then he says you will ask God for that wisdom first. So the Bible does give us some direction in the midst of trials and suffering, and that is that we're to pray and ask God to help us to see this for our good. That we might consider it all joy. Boy, you want to stimulate your opportunity for evangelistic conversation with your family, with your friends, with your co-workers? When you're in the midst of really, really difficult times and you're counting it all joy, you're going to have opportunity to tell people about it because they're going to want to know what medicine you're taking. But that still doesn't tell us exactly what God is doing in our life through the trials and suffering, does it? He says you're accounted all joy and you need to know that it's, it produces endurance, but, but there's still, it's, it's kind of, that's a big answer and it's not a specific answer. So I don't know exactly what God is doing. I've got a general idea. But what I don't know is His specific will for me in the midst of this suffering or this trial that I'm going through. And I don't know what His will is for you. Deuteronomy 29.29, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, which I faithfully memorized before my ordination exam. You've got to have a fallback position. Deuteronomy 29.29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, and those things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. Okay, so you can only use it so many times in your exam, you know, and then, then they fail you, but... But it does come in handy once in a while. That's a good question. Must be part of the secret things. I mean, God has a specific, detailed, individual will for our lives. It is part of His decretive will for all of creation. He's doing something. He just doesn't bring us in on it all the time. Look back at Romans 8. Verse 26, 27. I want to just show you something here in the text. There's a parallel thought here that is important for us to see. Verse 26 says we don't know how to pray as we should. As we should. You see that? That is parallel to verse 27 where it says according to the will of God. As we should, parallel to, according to the will of God. Those are, that's the same thought, same idea. What Paul is telling us here is that we are finite, we are frail, we are sinful, we are imperfect. And thus we are unable to pray with absolute consistency to God's will because we don't know what it is. We don't know what it is. In fact, many times we are completely unaware of what God's will is for us in a particular situation. We don't know. We don't know. Therefore, most of our prayers really need to be qualified by 
if it be your will. Because we don't want to presume to instruct God on what He should be doing in the midst of life's circumstances. Shall the finite say to the infinite, you should do thus and thus? If it be your will, Lord, we beseech you to heal so-and-so. Because we don't know. We don't know. You know, even the Apostle Paul, and I mean, if anybody you would think in the New Testament would be aware of the will of God and would kind of have this thing dialed in, it would be the Apostle Paul, right? So First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians 12, page 1163. We have a perfect example of, of even the great Apostle Paul He was not always aware of God's will in his own life, in particular with regard to suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's engaged here, by the way, in this, uh, actually this whole epistle, and certainly in this section of it, with defending his apostolic authority. Demonstrating that he is a true and legitimate spokesman, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he's being attacked everywhere he goes. His work is being undermined everywhere he goes. People are saying he's a false apostle. He's a charlatan. He's just in it for the money. On and on and on. So he's engaging with the Corinthian church in in defense of who he really is. His apostolic authority. And so he talks about at the beginning of the chapter here about being taken up into paradise, into hearing unspeakable things. That is, to having uh, uh, in a vision to, be, to have an encounter with the living God. Verse 7, he says, And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, literally to punch me under the eyes, to keep me from exalting myself. And concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, there's a Difference of opinion here. Some think it's a bodily ailment. I'm not persuaded of that. I actually think it's an individual. The messenger of Satan, I'm persuaded, is an individual. We could talk about that another day. But in any case, Paul is earnestly praying three times, asking God to take this away from him because he desires to be rid of the hindrance to his ministry which seems in perfect accord with the divine design for him, which is to go and plant churches amongst the pagan world. And Paul had been specifically told by Christ that he was going to do this, he was going to go, and he was going to plant churches. That's God's will for him, and he had heard it directly from Christ. But there's this problem, and if you'll grant me this, there's this guy who's going around and undermining everything he's doing. And he's ripping up the churches that are being planted. And in particular, he's ripping up the church at Corinth. 
And so Paul is saying, Lord, please take this away. God's answer to him is not a chance. Not a chance, Paul. Power is perfected in weakness. The church stands on the power of God. It doesn't stand on you. So if this guy makes a shambles of your reputation, it doesn't matter. In fact, it's not that it just doesn't matter. It's my will and plan for the church. Try that one out at a prayer meeting. God says that just the opposite, Paul, of removing this hindrance to church planting in my wisdom, in my love, in my grace is what I've planned all along. That the power rests with me and not with you. Folks, the reality is we don't know how to pray. We really don't know how to pray. We don't know what to ask for. And what a terrible place to be, huh? What a discouraging, disheartening place to be if that's where we were left. But Paul comes here and he gives us the reassurance. The reassurance of the second half of verse 26 and into verse 27. The reassurance is that the Spirit prays for us. Romans 8, 26, 27, the Spirit prays for us. That's our reassurance in the midst of all of this. Verse 26, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes. An intercessor is one who pleads another person's case, acts as their advocate. So with regard to our inadequacy in prayer, Paul says the Spirit comes along beside us. He helps us. That is, He, he, he lifts the burden. He carries the load. And he does it by pleading our case with God when we do not know how to do it. That's pretty reassuring. That's pretty reassuring. When I don't know what to ask for, all I know is I'm in pain. The Spirit knows. And the Spirit asks. Maybe I can illustrate it for you this way. When we... Carol and I visited Japan here just a couple of months ago. We were taken out uh, to dinner. We went out to dinner with a, another couple. It was actually Art's brother and family. And we were put into a situation where we didn't know what was best for us. Would that be a fair way to say it? I mean, we knew we were hungry. Okay? But we had no idea what to ask for. None. But fortunately, Art's brother, Rich, was there and he interceded for us and ordered our food. It was delicious. It was delicious. See, in a similar way, that's what's going on. When we're in, our, in the midst of suffering, we sense our need, but we don't know what to ask for. Spirit steps in and He speaks for us. He speaks for us. 
Instead of our inadequacy frustrating our communications with the Heavenly Father, God Himself in the person of His Spirit intercedes for us. Now, it doesn't mean, as we looked earlier there at, uh, at James, it doesn't mean that we're not to be diligent in searching the Scriptures. We are. We are to get to know the mind of God. And He has revealed much to us in His Word. And, and we need to, to learn all that He has revealed. We need, to, we need to come after this book with a vengeance so that we know what it says and, and it informs how we think, how we pray, how we feel about things. But folks, even no matter how well you know the Bible, you can never be presumptuous enough or know it well enough to be presumptuous to think that you can know the will of God exactly in every situation. You just don't. I mean, think about old Job. Think about old Job, right? And think about his friends. What a lame group they were. They thought they knew God's will. They wanted to tell Job all about it, but they didn't know God's will at all. How does the Spirit intercede for us? Look again, verse 26. How? Groanings too deep for words. Groanings too deep for words. It's an interesting way of expressing it. Paul's not telling us here that the groanings cannot be put into words, but that they are not put into words. It's not that they are inexpressible, but that they are unexpressed, if I can say it that way. What's going on here in this text? I mean, the idea of groaning is, is developed, I think, out of Paul's earlier statements, right? He talks about the creation groans, verse 22. He talks, verse 23, the believer groans. And so there's a, I believe, a deliberate progression going on here. And it's designed to illustrate the fact that our, that the Spirit really is our burden bearer. He is truly entering, entering into our sufferings and He is really helping us in our time of need. The groaning is not because He is unable to articulate the groaning is because it's appropriate to burden bearing. Let me illustrate it for you this way. The last month or so, I've had the pleasure of helping two families move from one home to another. Inevitably, one of them has a piano. <laughs> Guaranteed, they got a piano. And you know, you know how that goes, right? Six of us, we gather around the piano and everybody gets one hand in and we grab a hold and then we all up together and then we little do this kind of fancy shuffle step across the floor, trying not to drop the thing on our toes and hoping the guy next to you has got a really good grip on it because you've got, you know, you've got five fingers, but as you're going across the floor, you're they're peeling off one at a time. It's kind of how it goes. And it gets really interesting when you get to the doorway it's like a turnstile. It starts peeling off the lifters one by one. So you always want to situate yourself, gentlemen, so that you're the first through the door. Okay? You definitely don't want to be the last guy through the door because then you're carrying the whole piano by yourself. Okay, you just don't want to do that. And throughout that whole ordeal, there's, there's plenty of grunting and groaning going on. 
It's the language of moving. It's the, it's the language of burden bearing. It's communicating something. That is, we are all in this together. Lifting this thing up and moving it where it needs to go. We're joined together in the struggle and the groaning expresses the reality of our union in that struggle. I think the same thing's going on here. That's what Paul's communicating here. The Spirit has entered into our struggle with suffering and He is expressing our true needs by His groaning. I mean, the Father is perfectly able to understand the communication of the Spirit because He's already one with the Spirit. He's of one mind with the Spirit. The Father knows what He is accomplishing in our lives and the Spirit knows what the Father is accomplishing in our lives. I mean, we're talking about two persons of the triune Godhead, right? Look at verse 27. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Let me just fill in the pronouns for you. He who searches the hearts is a reference to God the Father. That is a very common Old Testament reference to God the Father. He who searches the hearts. That's just another, another way to say God the Father. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because He, that is the Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Father knows our concerns. But beyond that, He knows the desire of the Spirit for us. The mind of the Spirit, Paul says, what the Spirit has set His mind on. What the Spirit purposes to do in us. I mean, we're involved here now in trying to peer into some sort of inter-Trinitarian communication. And it's, it's a mystery. God the Father's not waiting around for the Spirit to tell Him, you know, what's going on here. Fill me in. God the Father knows exactly what He is doing. And the desires of the Spirit for us are not like ours. They're not characterized by ignorance like ours. They're said to be here according to the will of God. You see that? The Spirit is interceding for us according to the will of God. He's asking the Father for the very things the Father has determined that He will do. Which is incredibly reassuring because if you ask anything according to my will, He hears you. All the guesswork is out. All the ignorance is gone. When the Spirit of God who indwells you as a believer comes alongside you to bear your burden in prayer, He does it in perfect harmony with the very will of God in exactly what He is accomplishing in your life by the weaknesses, by the afflictions, by the suffering, by the disease, by the bodily illness, by the misery and sorrow of this world, by whatever it is that is at work in your life, the Spirit is perfectly articulating what God is doing. The Spirit's prayers are always right on target. They're always, therefore, perfectly fulfilled. Perfectly.
St. Augustine, the name familiar to you, I think, was a very, very wicked man in his youth. He was later converted. But during his youth, he was an exceedingly vile and wicked man. And he had a mother who was a devout Christian woman named Monica. And she had a heavy burden on her heart for her unconverted son. And she prayed for him regularly and faithfully. One day, Augustine came to her and he said he wanted to, he wanted to leave North Africa and go to Italy. Go to Rome. And his mother was absolutely against it. In fact, she prayed to God fervently that he would not allow her son to go to Italy because she was afraid that he would get into even worse sin there. That was her special request of God. And God didn't answer it. God did not answer that request. In fact, Augustine went to Italy and he was converted there. He was converted there. See, his mother didn't know how to pray for him as she ought. She did not know the will of God in that situation. And so her mother's heart was, please protect him from the wickedness. And the will of God for him was to go into the lion's den that he might go all the way to the bottom that God might then rescue him. But the Spirit's groaning on her behalf was that Augustine does go to Italy because it's there he will be saved. God answers the Spirit's prayer. This is so reassuring. This is so reassuring, beloved. We don't have to worry about the fact that we are buffeted by suffering and baffled by perplexity in prayer. Because the Spirit of God takes our concerns to the Father in the proper accordance with the Father's perfect plan for our life and in the intensity of a groaning burden bearer. You've got a prayer partner. If you know Christ today, you've got a prayer partner who's God Himself. And gave it in that. It does not get any better than that. This is great assurance. Tremendous assurance. Our failure to know the Father's will, our consequent inability to petition Him specifically and confidently is met by God Himself through His own Spirit who intercedes on our behalf according to the will of God. It's a message designed to encourage us to suffer. A message designed to encourage us to suffer like Christians. How? It gives us hope. It gives us hope. In the midst of life, when it's all falling apart, when the wheels are coming off, this gives us hope. Hope produces endurance. When God doesn't answer your prayer in the midst of your suffering, when He seems so remote, so untouched by your pain, you need to keep praying. 
Keep praying. Resolve to pray in accordance with the Scriptures. Search the Word of God. Pray regularly. And then rest in the knowledge that the Spirit of God is interceding on your behalf in accordance with the will of the Father. The Spirit's prayers always get answered. Always. Maybe you're here this morning suffering and you don't know Christ. You have yet to make a faith commitment to the risen Savior. You have yet to repent, that is, to turn from your sin to Christ and flee to His cross to, by faith, grab hold of Him as it were, to call out to Him to be merciful to you as a Savior, to to understand and believe that His death on a cross is a death of atonement that will take the wrath of God that belongs to you. If you have yet to do that, I can offer you no hope. I can offer you no hope in the midst of your suffering. The Spirit of God intercedes only on behalf of His children. If you are not His child this morning, I can offer you no hope other than to flee to the cross of Jesus Christ. For there you will find redemption. And there the Spirit will enter in and begin to undertake for you what He is actively doing in the lives of the rest of us. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You for sending Your Spirit. When Christ returned to the right hand of the Majesty on high, when He sat down at Your right hand, our Father, You and He sent the Holy Spirit, third person of the triune Godhead, to be in and among and with His people, to be our comforter, to be our burden-bearer. We thank You for such an amazing gift, our Father. For it is indeed our hope in the midst of suffering. May You use the truth of this passage, Lord, this morning in the lives of my brothers and sisters who are here and suffering this morning. May it be a great source of encouragement for them. May you, may you lift up their eyes to glory. May You reassure their hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.